This is the Grind, Sell, and Elevate podcast by Tizer Evans, where we do a deep dive on how to stay driven, how to be a top-tier salesperson, and how to elevate the quality of your life. Everybody, thanks for joining me on Grind, Sell, and Elevate. This week, I sit down with Barnaby Winters, based out of the UK. Barnaby is a branding expert. He's helped over 570 brands get their marketing and their creative genius straight. One of the things that he really uses that is unique to the marketing space is he has a whole theory called the brand bucket as opposed to what he calls the F word, which stands for funnel. He uses a bucket approach to his branding. It's something he's been doing for well over 20 years. Obviously with working over with over 500 brands, he is an expert in his field to all things marketing. He's helped some incredibly huge brands, global recognition brands that you've heard of. So stay tuned to hear more about what Barnaby does and how to get your branding and your marketing straight. If you guys haven't done so, Please subscribe to the podcast, leave me a five-star review, drop a comment, share if you could. Let me know if you're watching on social media. Tag me in a post and a story. Let me know. I'll repost it, share the love, uh, all the support I've been getting. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. And Without further ado, here's my podcast with Barnaby. Barnaby Winter, how are you doing today? I'm doing brilliantly today. Thank you very much. Good. I'm happy to have you on Grindstone Elevate. So you are a marketing practitioner. So I'm very interested in talking to you. Uh, you have a tremendous amount of experience with helping over 570 brands get their marketing straight. So why don't you give us a bit of a context and background of how you got into marketing and what you do exactly? Sure. I, so um, I started at university doing a psychology degree. And I took that uh, I took that degree uh, on a motorcycle around Australia for a year, and then came back and did a postgraduate diploma in advertising and a second one in marketing. Really got taken by that and went into the advertising industry, which is really the dominant discipline in marketing uh, way back in the early eighties. Uh, had a really rapid rise to my career. Went through a number of agencies in a couple of the world's largest: uh, Ogilvy and Mather and Gray. Uh, working on on sorts, all sorts of brands, Ford and uh, other big brands like that, Unilever. Uh, and then in, uh, very quickly became the youngest MD of a top 200 advertising agency in central London. Uh, and I liked that agency so much, I bought it two years later from the founders. And with it, a six-step engagement model called the Brand Bucket, which had been created by the founders of that agency back in 1985. And then... <clears throat> got completely flummoxed by the event, the sad events of September the 11th in New York, mm. of course. And then that, yeah. that changed the world. We had some really big clients at the time, E-Trade, Deutsche Post, um, Children's Society, some, some really big brands. And of course, they all just stopped spending as a result of, uh, of September the 11th. And so we decided in early 2002 to reconfigure the way an agency delivered marketing services to its client base. We set ourselves a six-month project plan, uh, 35 of us, and completed that seven years later. Uh, it took much longer than we thought, um, uh, by which time we'd seen some 400 to 500 clients and brands through the, through the business, so we'd used them as a, a test bed. So by 2009, we'd established this formula for marketing success. Uh, we were embedding it, and then... I'd become a professional speaker uh, in conjunction with that and ended up on a platform with a, a behavioral economist. I was being billed as a behavioral marketer. And he said, there's a double dip recession coming. And I thought, oh, I, I, I have, just don't have the energy for that. Um, so I spent the next year moving my formula for marketing success to the cloud. And in mm. 2010, uh, moved out on my own. And I now run uh, an organization on my own, but I have at my disposal over 120 freelancers, uh, notwithstanding the ability to use Fiverr and, and, and those sorts of things. Sure. Um, and I work with five to seven big corporates a year, embedding the formula for marketing success in their organizations. I mentor, I'm currently mentoring 21 different business owners at the moment. I write books. I... And I speak professionally 35 times a year. So uh, uh, not something I'm doing a lot of right now because of right. uh, 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 our little friend, Covey. So, uh, <laughs> but it sounds like you're staying busy nonetheless. 
Yeah, no, listen, absolutely loving it at the moment. I'm uh, the these lockdowns are, are perfect for me because <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to meet anyone. <laughs> right. So I, wa- I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, um, I think it's interesting that you got a degree in psychology to start with, because I think that a lot of people don't realize that aren't in maybe the marketing space, how much psychology goes into advertising and marketing. So can you talk a little bit of that and how much that's helped you with throughout your career, having that kind of that foundation? Yeah. So I, I, um, what, I'd spent four years at a Scottish university doing psychology. I really, really wanted to become an educational psychologist. So the shift to advertising halfway through the course was, was quite significant for me. But I came up with a definition of psychology, which was common sense ruthlessly pursued. Mm. Um, and that was, that was my conclusion of four years of uh, <laughs> taxpayers' money. Um, and and I, I have found marketing to be very similar mm. in the sense that it is also common sense ruthlessly pursued. It, Clearly, psychology is about the study of human behaviour uh, and what's that, how that's affected by the environment and, and various things. And actually, creating brands, creating uh, businesses, they're all about harnessing human behaviour and, and shaping that and making it work for, for your business. So, so there's huge similarities. But the reality is Tyson, that, that um, I think my university career just opened my brain up in a way that had never been opened up before and and made me very very able to take on ideas that affects human behavior uh, and then i just encapsulate those and put them in in a brand yeah okay that makes that makes sense hmm. no can you talk to us a little bit about the the brand bucket because i saw you know on your videos on your site you you know early on you're carrying around the bucket in the, in the videos and kind of what is that strategy? And it sounds like you're still applying some of that strategy today in a, in a different way. And what did that, you know, how did that help you to launch? Okay, so 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 <clears throat> so the brand bucket is a uh, is a, a six step engagement model that was developed mm-hmm. for uh, a motor manufacturer called Saab in 1985. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, the guy that created it was commissioned by Saab to really create a a decision making model for buying Saab motor cars or motor cars in general. And it ended up being a six-step model, which when he'd finished it, and it took 18 months to research it and uh, quite a lot of money spent on it. When he finished it, he realized there wasn't anything in his then top 40 advertising agency that didn't follow these six steps. And what the six-step do is they map the behavior of an individual from being entirely unaware of a a business or product or a service to being a long-term loyalist about it. Mm. And actually he found that it underpinned um, the, the way businesses are set up, the way uh, brands are created, the way marketing works, and actually has really replaced the need for sales. Um, so, um, so I came across this in 1997 uh, when I was working on a, on, a, on a brand called First Telecom, which was the first alternative to our, our, our mainstream British Telecom. And I then joined the agency two years later in 99, becoming the youngest MD. So I, when I joined the agency, I said, well, you know, this brand bucket, where is it sitting in the agency? And they said, well, it's a planning tool. We use it in our planning department to, to plan campaigns. And I said, OK, we should bring it right up to the front. So the first six months at the agency, I made the brand bucket the very centerpiece of, of what we did. And we then worked it for the 10 years, as I described earlier. And then when I came out on my own, I became the brand bucket company. So actually everything I do is centered around the brand bucket. Um, now, how do the six steps work very quickly? Um, assume your business is a bucket. There, there is, there is a, you're, you're, you will undoubtedly be familiar with the, with the F word that we're not allowed to say in our business anymore. Um, now the F word is a sales F word. I don't know if you've ever, you, you can use it, but if you choose to swear at me, uh, effectively it's kind of a shape which has a hole in the bottom and you pour things in it and then the things sort of pour out on the floor and it's very common amongst salespeople to talk about the f word which we don't use um so um and and if you think about it logically to to spend all your marketing money pouring things into the top of our, our, for the purposes of like a hopper shaped thing which has a hole in the bottom that then all pours out all over the floor um is a really stupid thing to do right now um, because it's designed for the broadcast industry and the, and the sales industry to justify why they exist. Whereas in reality, 
Um, what you need is a vehicle that when you pour things in the top, they stay in, the, in that thing. So hence the use of a bucket. So what are the six steps to get people into your bucket? Well, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to tell everybody they raise awareness. Um, and so there's lots of ways of doing that. Um, and once you've done that, people say, when you research them, I've heard of you. And you go, that's fantastic. And they go, I've heard of you. And you go, that's brilliant. I've heard of you. Okay, well, that's, that's not enough. So you have to then create the next step, which is what we call image match. And you will know that we buy from people we like. Mm -hmm. But our research in 2005 discovered a new dimension to that, which is not only do we buy from people we like, but because of the choice that's available as a result of the digital revolution, we not only buy from people we like, but we buy from people like us. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about image match, what we mean is you've got to create an engagement strategy which makes people say, oh, I like you because you're like me. And if you don't do that, actually, they're not going to go somewhere else where they are. They do find somebody that's like them. So that's the first two steps. The second step, then, you, is you've got to demonstrate your value. And again, there's two steps to that. The third step in the bucket, so it's awareness, image match, then facts match. Um, so what people are looking to do is find out what you're going to give them. And they ask you that question, what do you do? What do you do for me in America is what, what a lot of people in America say. And in the UK, we only say, what do you do? And then we give loads of features. In America, they say, what do you do for me? And us Brits get completely caught out by that because we don't know how to answer that question. Um, but in America, that's what people say, what do you do for me? And I go, I, I, I don't know, I, 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 anyway, because we haven't worked out the answer to that question. So I help businesses answer that question and communicate their benefits. So benefits, benefits, benefits. So now I've heard of you. I like you because you're like me and I know how you're going to benefit me. When you research people, they go, fantastic. I've got all the information I need. When I need somebody like you, I'll come back. And this is where the fraud of the broadcast industry uh, and the sales industry is, yeah, well, you've got to keep selling. You've got to keep advertising. You've got to go. No, 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 no. The next step is you must run a test drive or create a response, as we call it. So the fourth step is create a response. So you run a test drive and give people a go of your value. Uh, and every business, every marketing plan should now have a test drive in it. And then you, you do the test drive. And people say, I really love this. It's really cool. It does what it says on the tin. I've had it for a month. And then you say, but we have to stop giving to you. We're not a not-for-profit. We're not a, a, a charity. So we have to take it away from you. And they go, no, 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 no. You can't do that. And I say, no, we can because we, we, we're not giving it to you for nothing forever. And they go, oh, what do we do about this? And you go, ah, I don't really know. I can't give it. Oh, I do have one idea. And they go, what's that? He said, well, you give us money and we'll carry on with the product or service that you've taken from us. They go, yes, yes, yes. And they don't even ask how much. So what you, they give you the money. Now, what then happens is most marketing people go, right, well, we took the suspect. We turned them into a prospect. Um, we've taken from, from being a, a cold lead to a warm lead to a hot, hot, hot lead. And then they've been converted, right? We're off for lunch, right? That's what most marketing people do. But we found way back in 85, that actually the exchange of money for a product or service is when marketing really should really kick in. So the next step and the last two steps are all about looking after people post-purchase. So it's actually the next step is usage, what we call usage. You've got to make being an owner of a product or service amazing. Uh, and, you know, brands like Apple have got this nailed. You know, they just, the box is beautiful. The product's beautiful. Mm -hmm. The shop experience is beautiful. Everything's beautiful and they get it. Um, I was, uh, I was recently at a shopping mall and uh, on a Sunday and we got there thinking the shops were going to open at 10, but they opened at 11 and lots of other people were there uh, and we were all distancing two metres and all that sort of thing. But the Apple store had a queue at, like all the other shops waiting for when it opened at 11 o'clock. But the staff at Apple were out talking to the members of the queue. They were taking details. They were doing that. No other shop was doing that. Yeah. No other shop was doing that. It was just the Apple store. And just think, that is smart. You know, you're talking to, they're there waiting for an hour. They're getting, they're going to go in. They're fantastic. So we call that usage. And then the final step is loyalty. So you must on your marketing plan have a thank you program. A thank you for being a buyer of our product or service. So the six steps, awareness, image match, facts match, response or test drive, usage and loyalty. And that maps the whole journey that somebody goes through and I haven't used the word sales. You haven't, but I see it. I see the big picture. No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. I've never heard anybody break it down that way. I'm not familiar with a model like that, but uh, it, does, it does make a lot of sense. And I could see, um, like you were kind of talking about, especially on the fourth step, where a lot of 
companies and marketing agencies like to seem that they would miss they would miss it. Yes, they would, they would completely miss it. And and actually, even the last step, you know, that's just something even here, although I'm in sales, right? Um, it's amazing to me how many people don't think to say thank you. Oh, it, it's. It, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And I'll tell you for my, my staff, we also, we have, they have thank you cards they send out. I like to do the handwritten and I even do it as a manager. So when my, my reps sell something, they send something, then I send something to kind of double down on it to let them know yeah. I appreciate the business because it feeds me and my family. So I am of course. very, very of appreciative course. of it. Uh, but yeah, no, beautiful. I, I love that. Now, where do you think I'm curious to know? So I understand kind of the, the bucket theory now, <sighs> In the digital age, what's the best way to start to execute this? Because it's not about radio and TV anymore. I think that that's kind of dead. You know, I, I was, it's like I have a four and six year old. And so uh, I recently just got Apple TV. I didn't have TV in, in eight years, but we got, we got TV. And my son, my six year old, he was trying to figure out what a commercial was. Right. Yeah. And, every, and every time a commercial's on, I've got my head down on my phone anyway. Yeah. So it, it seems like it's irrelevant to spend money in that place now. So if you're a brand, where should you be focusing on building out your bucket and which type of platforms? Okay, so that, that's a, such a good question. Um, so I'm, I'm Mark, the role of marketing has fundamentally changed in the last decade. And you're absolutely right. So the concept of taking what's called a USP, a unique selling point, a unique and wrapping it in a beautiful piece of creative and blasting out as far and wide as you can, as cheaply as you can. So hence TV, radio, press, posters, cinema, whatever. That's fundamentally dead now. It, it really, out, the evidence for us is it died really around 2005 when we'd had broadly seven or eight years of internet. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and people just knew you weren't, and, the only choice in the market so being blasted that down your down, down your throat through so so it really didn't work and actually the we, we found in 1990 after 1995 there was no such thing as a usp um, they just don't exist and again that still seems to be a, a root part of a strategy for people um going forward i think if anybody says ask you what your usp is you, you say my usp is the door uh, I'd like to see your backside go through it because they're so out of date. It's ridiculous. I mean, yeah. you, you know, if you think you've got a USP, type it into Google and I hope you're the only one that comes up on the first page because I'm afraid you ain't going to be. And, right. and and so there are no... So that whole concept. So we we searched long and hard for what was the replacement of that. And actually one of the, one of the books, seminal books that took my fancy was a book by a, an American organisation called CB, uh, uh, I think. Uh, and um, uh, and called the challenger sale, and what that was that was about was about okay. What you need to do is you need to feed the top of the bucket with your expertise, subject matter expertise, your insights into into what makes people make decisions. How can you help people make the decision to buy from you? So you flood the market with insight. Now, depending where your target market is, that could be on Insta, it could be on Facebook, it could be on LinkedIn, it could be on YouTube. Um, it's certainly probably not PPC. Um, it's probably not any, because that's to broadcast rules um, and it's making Google a lot of money. Um, the, what you should be doing is flooding the market with insight. Now, what what's interesting is, um, the evidence suggests that when people contact you for the very first time, that they've made 57% of the decision to buy. And the reason mm. they've been able to do that is because the knowledge economy that we all live in now gives you all the information you need. There's peer-to-peers, there's the trip advisors, and there's the net promoter school, and there's all this stuff. And people go on and they wake up in the morning with a, with a challenge, an issue or a problem, and they go, right, um, I, I'll Google it and see what, what's out there. And sure. again, another piece of research that's, that's come out recently is, or, or according to, to Mary Meeker of Kleiner Perkins and the e-commerce foundation is 88% of buying decisions amongst um, 25 to 35 year olds start online. So you've got to be online. And so what do you put in online? Well, actually you put in all this insight, blogs, videos, information, all of that sort of stuff. Fantastic. The problem that's happened in the in the in the in the period since 2011, when Challenger Sale was 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 first published, is now the whole of the internet is flooded with insight. 
to a point right. where actually when I go on there, I think it all looks good and I'm still no further forward. I'm just stuck. Um, so what uh, what's happened recently is Gartner, the big world global research organization, mm -hmm. bought CEB and did another piece of research. And in January of this year, they they uh, they started to publish, but was then were caught out by the pandemic. The idea that the, the strategy you need now to bring people into the top of your bucket is you've got to make sense of all the insights. Mm. And what they're talking about now is you've got to go into a market, you've got to identify egoically the people who are going to buy from you, and then you've got to help them understand what's going to work for them. So you've got to listen to what they're about. And actually, you know, you and I know this is what good salespeople do. They listen they look for the, the, the angles, they look for, but what you do now is you broadcast how to make sense of a marketplace. So if you're thinking of buying a green thing, they explain what the benefits of green are, red are, blue, yellow, orange, even though they only sell green ones, right? And, and then people go, okay, this is an independent piece of advice. I kind of am erring towards the green one after all, even though I think the orange one looks quite good, but actually I'm going to go for the And they come and buy from you. But when they buy from you, they're really likely to buy from you because you've been in their language, you've been in their style. So the strategy for bringing people in is to publish your expertise in the form of sense-making uh, content out in the, in, the, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, wherever your target market goes, yeah. And, and if, if, if you're at the younger end, then you've got to be on Insta. You've got to be on in, in Facebook. Um, if you're at the professional end, then you're probably going to look at LinkedIn. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and then you might be looking at things like TikTok. You might be looking at things like YouTube um, and all that sort of somewhere in between to kind of get more mass market um, and, and, and just look for what's out there and what's coming next and where people are going. Yeah. Wow. That was, that was a lot to take in, but that makes sense because it's no, I mean, in a good way, in a good, in a good way, <laughs> Barnaby, uh, because you know, that's one of the things we talk, you, I mean, you, you hear a lot in sales and whatnot, actually in, in interesting. I was just talking to my friend in California. He just got uh, on with Gartner um, a couple of months ago. And so we were, we were chatting the other night about kind of some of their strategies, uh, but it's all value, 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 value. But like you're saying, it's so saturated in value that everybody's got their own value prop every you know it's how do you make sense of it yeah. um and so it's really you have to help them make sense of all the information that's putting out so that that does make that makes sense right that's yeah. logical that's logical <laughs> um because you, it, it is it's information overload i can't even imagine what my kids are going to have to go through you know how the internet's going to be it's it's unbelievable um right now no i the, I, the great thing is they don't have to worry about it because um, the internet is going to disappear uh, and is going to be replaced by AI. And um, what what will happen is the, uh, the the machine learning that's being built at the moment will then feed AI, and they'll just they'll just come home and say, "What am I eating tonight?" And they'll go, "Well, we we measured your your biorhythms and what you've consumed during the day, and you're deficient in these minerals, so we we've, we've ordered you an Italian." <laughs> we, we prepared the meal for you yeah. i think they're they gonna have a great life in my opinion they're gonna yeah, yeah. well i don't know the, the critical thinking will probably deplete a bit um and th that was going to be one of my one of my questions to you is where do you see the, the the marketing industry or maybe you can extrapolate that on like you just kind of did where do you see it going in the next five to ten years yeah so i i think my my, my the, the, the businesses that will survive, in my opinion, in the next five years are the ones that really understand that, that business is about commercialized relationships. And the model I've described, the brand bucket, is a six-step way of managing a relationship from an unknown, unaware person through somebody who's very loyal to you. And so what I would be recommending businesses do is they build systems and processes that are entirely focused on relationships with their buyers. So that's the first phase. And I think if you do that, what will, what will happen then is then you can use machine learning to refine those systems and processes. And then you can plug in an AI, i.e. the human interface into that. And what will happen is businesses will move to uh, an AI led relationship with the outside world. What will happen then is 
I think marketing will will possibly uh, shift back to where it came from, which is marketing 1.0 was 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 uh, the town market when when the people who grew live uh, grew food and, mm-hmm. and, and reared livestock would go to the market on a Wednesday and 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 set out a stall and and explain to people why that fruit was better and what they were going to do. And if they needed fruit that was going to last for four days, they're better off buying this. And if they want something to make tonight, then that because it's going to go off. And that was where they helped make sense of that. And it was a real showcase for, for things that you could. And I think we will move more back towards showcasing all the different products and services that you can buy rather than <clears throat> the period of the persuader, which we've sort of been pursuing since the sixties since sure. the advent of television, we, we've been in this period of persuasion. Um, I think it'll be a question of showcasing and then you feeding the AI and saying, I, I really like the idea of X. And they go, well, OK, uh, um, uh, you know, you might want to consider these other things, but why don't we go with that? The challenge we've got is who owns the rights to the mm-hmm. AI. And I think one of the biggest dangers of of where we're going is that the media owners are the ones that are going to control the AI. And then what will happen is marketing will become, will become the dark art again, because it will be who pays the most money to be yep. the thing that their AI churns out without people even knowing. And we, we're getting that, we're seeing that right now in, yep. in, in product placement and things like that. And that's a big worry. And I think, I think it's right to, to rail against Facebook and rail against Google and rail against, uh, you know, Murdoch empires and things like that. Just just to make sure that we we don't we end up handing over the crown jewels of our behaviours to 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 these big, very, very limited thinking organisations that are making tons and tons of money. But uh, so I, I, I think. It's very difficult to judge. I think there will also be the haves and the have-nots. I think those that there'll be those that are connected, and those that are not connected for various reasons, whether it's uh, poverty, whether it's it's um, location, geography, whether it's ability, um, whatever. So there'll be a whole. There'll be two generations. There'll be the connected generation and, and, and the and the disconnected generation. I think then there'll be two forms of marketing, and there'll be the ones for the disconnected and the ones for the connected. Uh-huh. Uh, and and the subtext of that is, is I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, I, I do think uh, it's not something I talk about much on the podcast, but it is relevant to understand. I mean, at least here in the States, there's only five marketing conglomerates. And a lot of people are very unconscious of that. They see uh, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, you know, CNN, they don't understand those controlled by five ma- massive companies, Viacom, right. Disney, right? Yeah. And so they're steering the narrative for 95% of what we consume. So if you plug AI into that, well, you're seeing that play out not right now here with our election. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and yeah, yeah. People, the people don't understand how the narrative is controlled, you know, just on your social media feed, you're being fed what they think you want to see at all times. Correct. Correct. So you're always in your own echo chamber. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, I think that's scary. And I think I expect marketing will be dominated by those that own the, uh, the echo chamber, unfortunately. That's the trouble. Yeah. No, I see that as well. Now, if you're somebody who's saying, hey, I want to get ahead of the curve because I want to be relevant, um, you know, would it be in your best interest to start to look at investing more into technology? and starting to pivot away from traditional uh, marketing tactics right now to get ahead of the curve? Uh, listen, no, no, uh, you'll laugh when I say this. No business survives without sales. And what I mean is without selling product. I told you. Right, right, right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but when I use the word, I don't mean sales. I mean sure. selling stuff. Um, so absolutely not. I, I, would be, uh, I would be pivoting my business t- t- towards much more towards marketing than away from it right now. But I think we have to, we, we, what we have to do is stop thinking about marketing is just advertising or broadcasting our message or in, in, in the language of, of, of the sales force, the top of the bucket thing. It's the whole journey. It's the whole relationship. Right. 
And if you're going to build a brand right now, what you should be building is a brand that absolutely commercializes these relationships. And I'll give you our definition of brand. Again, it's a rarity that for a brand person to actually have a definition of brand. Um, so we, defi- we, we spent three and a half months coming up with this definition in 99, and I've been using it ever since. So we define brand as every experience that affects the relationship between a product or service and its buyer. So that's every experience that affects the relationship between a product or service and its buyer. Now that has a number of dimensions to it. Clearly, you can use technology to drive the way the relationship, the experience of the relationship, but you also need the people to do that if you're a, but you also need uh, great systems and processes. You need a great value proposition. You need to understand who you're selling to. Uh, and ultimately you need a machine that helps uh, take that message out to the marketplace so that people yeah. get into the relationship with it. Otherwise, you're just you're creating your own business echo chamber. You're, you've got a great business, but you're not selling to anyone. And one of one of the one of the if you're I, I was very lucky to to speak with Michael Gerber on his last tour of the UK yeah. um, uh, uh, five years ago. I know he's, he's in well into his eighties now, but he wrote a great book called E Myth Revisited, mm-hmm. and the, the fundamental of E Myth was. All businesses, to his mind, are started by technicians. And so you, you kind of don't have to worry about the technical part of a business, the systems and processes. But the trouble is, and this is one of the points of the book, people build it for themselves. They don't build it for other people. And unless you let the marketers sit around the same table as the product designers, as the service designers, the technology people, you will end up designing a system and process that works for you as an owner but does not work for the people who have to buy from you. And I think you have to apply marketing thinking to, to the way you develop your business right now. And I've been investing in really understanding, you know, who you're going to be selling to uh, and how they are going to buy from you. And, and you know, I, I, if you look at the businesses that have emerged from nowhere, uh, um, Amazon, eBay, uh, Airbnb, Uber, uh, Zappos, um, these businesses have, have appeared from nowhere. Now, they all have one thing in common. Um, and it's not that they all operate online. They, the one thing they have in common is they don't make the product or service that they sell. So what yeah. they are, are, are marketing-led behavioral systems that allow you and me to buy stuff really easily, really effectively, stuff unused unused inventory um consolidating um all that sort of thing and unless you invest in really understanding what relationship you're going to offer people and build use the technology to support that rather than be drive those relationships i think you're you're you have to invest in marketing i'm biased you know i want people to spend money with me of course i do sure and also in my industry um but i i i want to walk arm in arm with the technology not follow the technology or the technology follow the marketing it's got to be a real arm in arm job so i'd be investing equally in both i have to say interesting yeah when um as you were kind of talking and kind of in the the, a few minutes ago when we were talking one of the things that popped in my mind when you're talking about the haves and haves not and understanding where you see marketing going i you know the the word singularity just kept popping in my mind yeah and how much that will be uh, how much that uh, will influence us in the relationship once because we're going to sync up i think that people they're they're just not aware it's coming it's coming much faster than everybody can possibly recognize i was joking with my wife we're on vacation last week for thanksgiving here and we're we talk a lot about our kids in the future and whatnot she's anti-technology and i'm all technology right and uh you know like my son he just he knew how to work an ipad at two and a half no we didn't tell him he, he just knew he, it just it's the evolution of where we're going yes. and so um you know i said I, you know, I was in a, a restaurant uh, during the summer and i saw a child trying to swipe a book Jesus. like a coloring book yeah they, they, they were moving their finger across it they were like they couldn't be more than three maybe and they were swiping the pages you know yeah you know, i'm sorry that's the way it's going yeah it's going. It, it is, but 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 to me, your 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 wife and you are a perfect brand for me because you've got the non-technology and the technology working hand in hand. So, 
I, I, I hazard a guess your kids might stand a chance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it would be good. I tell her, I said, you know, they've got to learn how to code and, and, uh, and program. It's just going to be a part of their future. But I do think that what I think that a lot of people would be listening to this would be scared of that the relationship aspect, the human to human part is going to go away. And so how do you see that still keeping the human to human aspect involved with the business? Because, you know, people, one, they're going to be worried about their jobs. But two, I think that people are always going to want to have that human to human interaction. And so how do you weave that in to your branding to make sure that's still an element that's relevant? So, so I think I, I, the answer to that is you need a brand. And the, the, for me, the brand is, the, is the, the layer that you put over the business that actually formulates and creates the human side of the relationship it's the it's the the big difference so my whole career is about creating famous brands and in all cases what we try to do is create the bridge between the intensity of running a, a well-run business and the needs of 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 a buyer and that bridge is always done by the brand which is why the definition brand is every experience that affects it so where where i'm having an impact on, on organizations now is i'm going in and i'm working with their systems, their processes. And I'm literally going line by line and saying, okay, at that point, um, when you ask people to dial one for this, dial two for that, dial three for the other, dial four to hear these three options again, you're losing the relationship yep. there. So can, yep. we, can, we, can we invest, don't spend money on a fancy ad, buy some call operators and sit them in there and you can get a chat bot, which, which, um, which has human beings on the end of it rather than it's an automated thing. So actually it's intuitive and, and, and when people, and you can just say, I'm really sorry, I don't have the answers to that, but I know a person who does, would you like them to ring you? That's, that's what happens, you know, that's a better chatbot. So I spend my whole time going literally layer by layer and going, okay, why, why do you box it like that? Why is it so difficult to unwrap? Why are the instructions so rubbish? Why, mm. why you know, all of this stuff. For me, they're all opportunities to create an amazing relationship and, so therefore, I think you, 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 can, um, you can, first of all, in the short term, employ people to think like that. So you need people to think like that because human beings can look at the thing and say, that's how I would humanize it. So that's the first thing. The second thing you need to recognize is that when AI really takes a hold, we are going to lose thousands and thousands of jobs. Right? Yep. However, society will rely on people having jobs. You have to have a purpose in life. And I, I'm really hopeful that what will happen is the leisure side of industry will go up because actually well, there's less time spent doing mundane jobs because the AI will pull the, do the heavy lifting on that. So I think what we'll see is we'll see more entertainment, we'll see more restaurants, we'll see more, more uh, in our world, pubs, not so much in America, but pubs and things like that. Um, I will see more theatre, I'll see more activities. And I think that's where people will get employed. So the people who are currently employed putting... Uh, you know, soldering bits of wire onto onto circuit boards, which will all be done automatically by by right. robots. Right? They'll be serving you a drink in yet another restaurant because everybody will be out enjoying themselves because they'll have more time. And actually, I, I love the idea that we move from instead of a five day working week, we worked we move to a two day working week, and yeah. we have five days off. You know, and so mm -hmm. work is like a weekend and a weekend. You know, and. I think there's some real radical shifts that we could go through. And I, I, I think people shouldn't worry about losing their current job. It, they only worry about if they lose their current job, they haven't got a job to go to. There are going to be other jobs. Other, they, so I read, I was uh, at a talk where a futurist said in, in 40 years time, 90% of what we will be doing or using has yet to be invented. Well, that's, just think about it. That's, I might just see that. Even at my age, I might just see that. It's part of my ambition. So everything <laughs> I could be doing in 40 years' time, 90% of it, I'll have absolutely no idea what it is because I'll be very old and I won't really know how to adapt to that. And I'll be surrounded by stuff that I've absolutely no idea what it is <laughs> just because it's all just been invented. <laughs> what is this? You know? Yeah. I, I don't think people should worry. I think... I think uh, you, you, you know, we, we are in an accelerated period of change. It's very exciting. But I, mm -hmm. I, what, what we must maintain 
is this humanist viewpoint of systems and processes. The moment yeah. we lose sight of that, then I think we're lost as a race, genuinely. Yeah. And, and, and so, so I certainly wouldn't be teaching my children code. And in fact, haven't, they're a bit older than yours, it sounds like. Um, I wouldn't be teaching them code. Um, I would be teaching them how you ask a machine to be a human. Mm. Yeah. So I'd let your wife have a louder voice in your family than you do. Oh, you know. she, she's tiny, but she's got, a loud <laughs> she's got a loud voice. No doubt about that. <laughs> of course. Yeah, all women yeah. do. I know. I t- all my guy friends that think that they, uh, they run their household. I'm like, uh, no, no, if no, you think no, you run your household, she does a no, good job of selling no, you on that. No, no absolutely. The, the, yeah. the trousers are, listen, the, by, women are by far the strongest sex by any way. And it's, it's just, we, we like to believe that we are the, yeah, the hunter-gatherers. Uh, yeah, no, a hundred percent. And that's actually what kind of what you just, um, I read a book when I was in high school, my mom gave me called Ishmael by an author called Daniel Quinn. Still my favorite book to this day. And it talks about the agricultural revolution and hunter-gatherer society and kind of how we've shifted into the society now. And it's interesting what you brought up because I do think that that is a very beautiful way of looking at it that we will be gifted back our time because you go back to hunter gatherer society, they got what they needed and then they just chilled. Correct. Absolutely right. right? Absolutely right. And if it was yeah. raining and you needed it to be sunny, you stayed and chilled, you know, and then when yeah. it was sunny, you worked 24 hours a day because you knew it wasn't going to dry. And actually the harvest, I grew up in, in the agricultural world of the UK, the harvest was always about you, you, when the weather was conditioned, you worked through the night, you know, you didn't, right. you you know, you had, you know, cheese and pickle at three o'clock in the morning for five minutes and got off the tractor when you're making the hay. You know, that's what you did, you know. But, you know, come when the weather's not so good, you 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 sat with your, your crofter socks on in front of the fire. You know, it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I love that outlook. A um, couple more questions for you, Barnaby. This has been Go. a great conversation. Um, what, what, what inspires you? So I, my vision at a professional level is to create a world where all brands matter. I, 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 I don't like the idea of creating brands which are for a load of pap, or just useless, pointless things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I understand that they might make money for people and things like that, but I only want to work. At, and as a result, my portfolio tends to be disruptor brands, challenger brands. So that's my portfolio. I tend to be drawn to those. So when people say, oh, I've got this great idea and we think it's going to change the world, I'm, I'm like a fly to a light. I'm, I'm going, I don't even charge full fees for it. It's like that crazy, crazy <laughs> yeah. thing for that, you know. Um, so, that's, so I think and at a, at a personal level, um, I seek contentment and that has lots of contributing factors. I have a... a, a family to die for in the sense that my my my, my i have three daughters one's a, one's a doctor one's just graduated from university with the first um and and the third one is at university but they they are absolutely you know phenomenal my wife is an amazing woman so and we we've created a fantastic lifestyle as well so i'm kind of at that enough is enough stage of life so i'm giving back so now i'm building a school in africa um wow. Uh, and raising money for that in in, in Uganda, so uh, thirty thousand pounds for that. I do a lot of pro bono voluntary work, so I'm very active in a thing called the, the the Company of Entrepreneurs, which is a big guild in the in the city of London. So I'm a founding freeman of that, and I do a lot of work, outreach work with with young young business entrepreneurs and mentor them and things like that. So that's where I gain real satisfaction now. So I've really sort of ticked all the boxes in the Maslow hierarchy of needs and I'm kind of in that self-actualization mode it's, it's 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 and at the same time I absolutely love doing my work so it's kind of that blend I just I just want to I don't necessarily need to feel happy um I don't necessarily have to feel calm I'm quite happy being stressed but I do want to feel contented so so it's just like have I done the best I can do in the yeah. moment and I live very much in the moment for that sort of thing so the personal and the business, um, they're, they're the two sides, really. There isn't anything else to me, really, I'm afraid. That's it. Really. It's just a simple old soul, really. Well, um, no, that's wonderful. It's, I, I love that you give back. I think that too many people who've done well and, and are successful in life, um, they don't understand that law of reciprocity, whether you know it, it, it gives you something here uh, or beyond here. So, um, you know, Yeah, just, actually, I've written it into my, into my business plan. So that I, I have to give 25% of my time and I keep a timesheet 
uh, and I evaluate it every every week. And if I haven't given back enough during the one week, I'll make sure I give a bit more the next week. So it's a, it's part of my strategy uh, as much as anything else. So I think it, it's, it's it keeps me happy. It keeps me contented. I love it. I mean, that's a huge, it's probably my biggest takeaway is what you just said from this entire conversation. I think that's beautiful. Um, any, do you have uh, two more questions? Any, any success habits that you think that helped you uh, early on to, to become successful or anything that you do now? And it sounds like it, you are meticulous about your time, which I think is important. Um, yeah. So, so um, you do ask some great questions, don't you? I, 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 normally you get sent questions before so you can prepare answers, but on this one, I, I have to fly by the seat of my pants. <laughs> yeah. um, the, <laughs> um, so the one thing that has really worked for me throughout my career and has been particularly good during these lockdowns that we've we've faced here in the UK. Um, there is a there is a I saw a speaker many years ago. There's a there's a, a five times gold Olympian called Stephen Redgrave who won gold in rowing five five Olympics in a row. Uh, he's now a speaker and he used he he was asked and has written a book uh, how do you do that? Rowing is one of the toughest sports, right? How do you win a gold medal for five, five, five Olympics in a row? And he said, it's very, very simple. And he said, he said what, what we did is we would, it's four years between each Olympics. So at the beginning of the four years, we'd, we'd go into the, 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 into the day and we'd sit down and we'd say, what one thing will make the boat go faster? And they'd all agree that. And then what they do is they test that for the day. And if it made the boat go faster, uh, they keep it and if it didn't they move to the next day and then the next day they go in and said what one thing will make the right and he said and we found that if we did that for four years we were the fastest boat <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. so the next time after the olympics we sat down and said what makes the boat go faster and we did and so the one thing that i have adopted in my work life is what makes my business go faster mm. and uh from the majority of my career i maybe spend half an hour a week yeah um just sitting down and going what makes the, what makes my business go faster what's happened in lockdown is i've been able to do it every day mm -hmm. because I'm, i've saved on travel i've saved on meeting people i've you know i don't I, it's, it's, it's a three-hour round trip into london really to get to a meeting and stuff like that i don't do that anymore i do it all on on, on zoom like this um so i'm saying like so what i've done is i've taken that chunk of time and i said right i'm going to do so you know, I might tidy up my filing system or reorganize my, uh, uh, my, my desktop. Today, I, I wanted to, to design an ebook, So I've gone, I've spent some time on that. And it's so, so every day I've done something that's slightly better than the day before. And do you know what, Tyson, my business is, you know, if I look back on my business every three months, six months, it's in a much, much better place than it was. I don't even know how that happened. Well, it happened because every day I've done something that made my business go faster. So that's really been my rule is to, to sit down and go, okay, do I do my list right? Do I file right? Have I got my books in the right order? Have I, does my printer need new inks? Do I need to order that? Do I need to get another light from my Zoom thing? Do I just think about one thing and just go, right, I'm going to do that slightly better. And of course, what you find is you end up way ahead of everybody else. Forget crossing the line and winning a gold medal. You're yeah. way ahead of everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like way ahead. And that has been, that has absolutely characterized my career throughout, the, you know, which is why I ended up becoming the youngest MD of the top 200 advertising agency in 1999. Just, I was, I was, don't know how, I didn't really feel it, but I was just way ahead of, of everybody else because I, I, you know, what makes the business go faster? So that's, that's really the tip for, for what I've done. Perfect. That's an excellent tip. And that's something I never heard before, but makes complete sense in the world. Yeah. Um, and my last question, and it should be an easy one for you. Should be easy. <laughs> I'm holding um, on. I'm a, I'm a voracious reader. I can tell that you are as well. Um, any books that you recommend or you gift often? Well, I'll say I gift my own um, all the time because I'm, I'm shameless like that. So I do, <laughs> I, do, I do have my own book. There it is, you know, the Good. brand bucket. Make the bread bucket. Um, so that's the one I give away a lot um, because it's, it's, it's part of the business. Um, I have a book list um, of, of my favorite books. So, so, so the, the, the question is the wrong question, of course, Tyson, because... <laughs> um, <laughs> 
which, but you're a sales guy, so you're always going to ask the wrong question. That, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because the, 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 the question is, if I want to learn about this, mm. what would be the best books? Now, I, I can only answer that from a business point of view. So, for example, if you're uh, a small business, so you want to be an operator owner business like me, then a stunning book for that is a thing called The Thought Leader's Practice. Um, and it gives you a construct for building a very lucrative business without taking on any people. If you want to create a business from start and you've got limited funds, then I'd go for uh, Lean Business Startup by Eric Rice. Um, and, and that gives you a whole methodology for keeping the business really lean right from, from the beginning. If you uh, anything by Seth Godin is is great, I'm afraid uh, yeah. I, uh, um, he annoys the absolute hell out of me every single time because he's always one step ahead of me and he's not even the blooming marketer you know it's just he's a journalist so yeah no. I, I get his blog every day oh, and it's just deeply upset he goes no i know <laughs> no no um <laughs> but you can't obviously challenge a sale challenge a customer if you want strategies uh to 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 uh, to understand how people are buying right now uh, anything by ogilvy uh, uh david ogilvy um, I love uh, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I think that's a really useful set of rules. You know, be proactive, begin with in the mind, all that sort of stuff. Um, E-Myth, we mentioned. I, I have a, 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 I'm deeply, deeply married to the Disney brand. Uh, I have to go to Disney every two, two to three years. I've been over 20 times. Um, and there's a book called Lessons from the Mouse which is just a very cool book about a guy who worked at Disney for, for, for a while and it's a great philosophy. Um, uh, E-Myth, we've talked about, oh, and then the, the final one that I probably would read if you're into systems and processes, The Goal by uh, Elric Goldratt. Um, or Eli, Eli, I think it's Elijah Goldratt, isn't it? Uh, the Goal. Um, and that's about pinch points and how you build systems and processes that, that enable uh, bigger organisations to work. So, there's a, there's a range of books that take you from, from, from personal development right through to, to uh, running a corporation. Good. Well, now I've learned my lesson to ask better questions the next time I talk <laughs> no, to somebody. No, that's not fair. So, you, no, you've, no. Got away, you've got away with it before. So yeah, yeah. Don't... Plenty of times. <laughs> uh, no, no, I love it, Barnaby. Thank you. Uh, where can people connect with you? Okay, so um, it would be wrong for me to say you can find me on the internet as long as you look for Barnaby Winter with a Y, W-Y-N-T-E-R. Um, I, I generally do pop up, but uh, my LinkedIn profile is, is a great way to connect with me. If, uh, and my website is www.barnabywinter.com. It's not easy, but you can, you can connect to me from there. Um, and, you know, just dig around. There's, there's, there's stuff, you know. There's, there's stuff. Well, yeah. uh, for anybody listening who wants to connect with Barnaby, I will definitely post all of his uh, connections, website, LinkedIn, in the show notes so you can find it there as well. If uh, I could do is just swipe down. I know people are lazy, but it's just going to be right there in the show notes. But uh, Barnaby, I really appreciate your time. It's been wonderful talking with you. Yeah, it's been fantastic. Great, great, great interview. Thank you. Thank you.